Heavenly Father, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sat in the barber's chair in those distant days when you were allowed to sit in barber's chairs. And this is a few months ago, he said to me, Mark said to me, David, what's this all about? He was asking where God is in the current troubles we face. And I could only mumble back at him through my face mask. It wasn't really the moment for a a theological discussion. But if Mark the barber is listening, this is for you. And I'd like to try and respond to your question. COVID is a big challenge to faith. Perhaps you find the pain and trouble around you makes you wonder, is there a God at all? Or is life just random? Or if there is a God, does he really care? And given how depressing the news often is, you may be thinking, well, I, I just don't want to think about all this stuff. And that is understandable. But it is vital that we ponder where God is in this suffering. For it is only once we are able to answer that question that we will be able to face suffering well when it comes. Today and in the coming weeks, we'll be looking at what Scripture says about suffering. We'll start in the Old Testament with the book of Job, and then we'll move through to the Gospels, and we'll finish with the letter of 1 Peter. Right now, we need to walk through the valley of COVID. And to do that, we need to walk through the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about walking, And as we study Job and the Gospels and 1 Peter, we'll find resources to walk well through the tough times in which we are living. The book of Job is in the Old Testament. It's a story first told around two and a half thousand years ago, and it's a masterpiece of intellect and emotion. And it's recognized as such by people inside and outside the church, and has been for hundreds of years. And I'm going to treat it as a parable, not history. There are no references in it to historical figures. I'd say it's more to be read in the same way that we read Jesus's parables. And the story goes like this. There was a man called Job, a good man, He lived an upright life. He had many blessings, a loving family, wealth, the respect of society. And he had a deep faith in the God of Israel. And one day Satan comes to God and says, take every good thing from Job and his faith will crumble. Okay, says God, let's see. And so a series of troubles hit Job. They were bad. They were, in fact, troubles that can hit anyone. Deaths of family members, loss of possessions, sickness. 
And Job complains to God, but he does not abandon his faith. And a group of his friends come to him. They're called his comforters. And the friends told Job that he must have sinned and that his troubles are payment for his sins. And Job's wife comes to him and she says simply, curse God and die. But Job refuses to curse God or or to die. And Job cries out to God. He rages at God. And eventually, in the middle of a huge storm, God speaks back to Job and says, look at the extraordinary world I have made. Can you imagine that you, a human being, can pass judgment on God himself? And Job replies to God, you alone are God, and you are beyond all I can understand. I repent of my anger at you. And God then tells Job that he, Job, is more righteous than his friends, the comforters, who were fools. And and God restores Job's fortune so that the latter half of his life is even more blessed than the first half. That's a a whistle-stop tour right through the book of Job, which uh, Julia just read a, a short portion of for us. But let me just digress for a moment as we dig into it. We need to beware trying to work out the, the detail of the overall role of Satan in Job. Um, theologians have said, well, that we shouldn't press the detail in Job. And note that God does not stop Job's suffering, but he does not inflict this suffering. God does not will evil like he wills good. In this book, as across scripture, God is working for the abolition of all death and pain. Now we're going to read Job across three weeks. Next week we'll look at Job himself. The following week we'll look at God in the book of Job. Today I want to do some necessary ground clearing and that we need to do to really hear the wisdom in this book. If you do have a Bible in front of you, and I appreciate that'll be easier if you're at home, do open it up. For we need, as we look at Job, it is teaching us what not to say before we can work out what we should be saying. And I'm going to make three points. Firstly, Job is teaching us that suffering is an inevitable part of our lives. Secondly, he's teaching us, Job is teaching us not to play the blame game. And thirdly, Job teaches us that we must not despair. So firstly, suffering is part of life. For, and it's important to say that because it's impossible, it's possible to imagine that being a Christian is some kind of exemption card from hardship. Why me, we say. But the fact is that suffering is part of our lives. We f- we, the Bible is full of people who suffer. 
Abraham, Joseph, David. And we follow a saviour who went to the cross and who says to his followers, take up your cross. And I say that not to depress you, but because we must be realistic. If there is a cross to bear in all lives, and I think there is, then if we bear it reluctantly, it will shrivel us from the inside out. But if we can learn to walk with God through it, we can find new life beyond our pain. Suffering is part of our lives. And for a good many listening to this, this is suffering that is not coming, but suffering already here. Then let's turn to Job's comforters. Now they offer us a way of responding to suffering. And they respond by playing the blame game. In the book of Job, four friends, comforters, try to speak to Job. And we heard earlier from the first comforter called Eliphaz. And Eliphaz says in chapter 4, verse 7, Who, being innocent, has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? Those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Eliphaz is saying something very simple, that trouble is coming to Job because of some sin he has committed. Somewhere along the line, Job has slipped up and now he is paying for it. And each comforter says roughly the same thing, often at inordinate length if you read the book of Job. Trouble is payback for sin. When trouble comes, when tough stuff comes, humans instinctively reach for someone to blame. And if you listen to any news broadcast, you can see that game being played out live at the moment. People sometimes also today refer to karma in a similar kind of way. A sin committed in the past, or if you believe in reincarnation in a previous life, is seen as causing bad stuff in the present. Now, it's worth saying that the Hindu faith from which the language of karma comes is a lot more sophisticated than what I've just said. But that is the way that karma is used in popular usage. And it is absolutely crucial to say that Christianity is a million miles away from that understanding of reality. It's a million miles away from the comforter's crude notion of tit for tat or the notion of karma as I've described it. When God responds to Job towards the end of the book, God is so hostile to the comforter's line of reasoning that he condemns them as folly. He gets them to make reparation and says their well-being now depends on getting Job to pray for them. God has no truck with the comforters. And indeed, if you look across Scripture and its message of grace, you can see it is the exact opposite. 
of this tit-for-tat logic. Of course, we do sometimes act foolishly and bring suffering on ourselves. The man who drink drives and is injured is an example of that kind of thing. But a great deal of suffering simply won't work by the easy logic of the comforters. And that's something we see Jesus making clear in the Gospels. And here is a lesson for us that when we are with people in pain, we should beware the blame game. Far better to listen, to encourage others to pour out their hearts, to pray with others. We do not have all the answers. And we can play the blame game with ourselves. If only I hadn't done this or that, maybe things would be okay. Again, let's not play the blame game and beat ourselves up. Job is a model here. He does not beat himself up. He brings his troubles to God, and so should we. The comforters, then, are one example of what not to say. And Job's wife is another. In verse 9 of chapter 2, she says simply to Job, curse God and die. Mrs. Job liked to get to the point. And the point she makes is an understandable one for those facing great suffering and those watching loved ones facing suffering. Job's wife is saying, if God is there, he is not good. Curse him and die. And there's clearly no hope in her eyes of life beyond death. Job's wife is in many ways a very modern figure. There is an intellectual tradition called nihilism. And a great many in our culture subscribe to it. And when we face suffering, it has a kind of appeal. But the Old and New Testaments have no truck with such thinking. Our world, their world, is full of pain. But it's also shot through with signals of hope. Later in the book of Job, there are striking descriptions of the majesty of our created world. It's a kind of David Attenborough for ancient Israel. The world is more than just the random agglomeration of atoms. It has order and beauty. And whilst human beings can behave very badly, they are also capable of great good. And we've seen that many times of late. Again, such goodness suggests our lives are not mere accident. And the Christian will look above all to the life of Jesus. We've just celebrated Christmas, and that is fundamentally about Jesus coming to us. Christmas says that in Christ we are not alone. And none of that fits with the blanket pessimism of Job's wife. Now, on one level, I can see why she took this bleak view. I remember a couple of months ago coming off the phone, having heard of some really difficult stuff that a church member was going through, through COVID. 
And I have to say, I found myself, as I put the phone down, swearing at the sheer unfairness of the situation. I'm not proud of that, I hasten to say. It was just a kind of instinctive venting. But I can see that, uh, you know, in a sense, like Job's wife, that's how one feels at those moments. But thank God, Christians need not follow the example of Job's wife. Things can feel helpless, but we are not without hope. Your current situation may feel like the end, but in Christ, we can declare it is not the end. Let me try and draw these threads together. I grew up in the southwest of England, and I used to walk a great deal on Dartmoor. And I remember once being out on Dartmoor with some friends, and we, I sank suddenly into one of the infamous Dartmoor bogs, the deep pits of mud, water, and vegetation that look like solid ground until you actually step on them. And I sank in very rapidly, right in, up to my waist, and I can feel myself sinking lower. The thing has a tremendous suction force. I was weighed down too by a heavy pack. I was helpless and I began to panic. Now, thankfully, two uh, uh, people from a party following on behind us managed to haul me out. But I wonder if that sense of sinking down into the mire is how life feels for many right now. There are things sucking us down, sucking the life out of us. COVID, most of all, but a good few things besides. And the question is, therefore, how do we walk in such times? And what's striking in Scripture is how walking is often a metaphor for facing suffering. You might think of Psalm 23, speaking of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And in the coming weeks, we will find resources from Scripture for walking through tough times, and we need these resources now. What we learn from Job today is how suffering is part of life, and Christian faith does not give us an exemption card from pain. And we learn too from Job what not to say. We learn to lay aside the blame game, for blaming others and ourselves is no remedy. And we learn to lay aside despair. It is an understandable reaction at times, but the created world and the life of Jesus are signals of hope in a bleak landscape. What we face now is dark, but it is not all there is to reality. So let me finish by suggesting two ways of facing the present. Get walking and get praying. Get walking and get praying. I go out for my daily ex exercise and it's usually a walk. One of the things that COVID has done is make us much more attentive to our surroundings, the things that we may previously have rushed past oblivious to. I find as I walk past gardens or in the park, the trees are, are, are bare, and their bareness is really striking. 
but each tree is full of buds. And each day, uh, if I tend to walk the same way each day, the buds get a, a, a little bit fatter. These branches are like skeletons at the moment, but you can see the life that is coming. These glimpses of something more are a reminder that we can look beyond darkness towards resurrection. Now, I know not everyone listening to this is able to go for a walk, but we can each try to notice the natural world. It is there. The seasons are shifting. They point us beyond corona and beyond the latest screaming news broadcast, beyond the here and now. Walk and pray. Job is a great example of persistence in prayer, for he never hangs up on God. He shouts at God, he rages at God, but he never hangs up. And if you are struggling, pray each day, even if it's just for a few minutes, even if you're saying words that feel empty or bitter. It's a ba the basic habit of speaking with God, which will, above all, carry us through what we are facing. Our lack of prayerfulness as a society, I think, is one of the reasons why so many feel so empty right now. Job's suffering did not drive him away from God, but to God. The 18th century writer John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, said that if we're not getting much out of going to God in prayer, we will certainly get nothing from staying away. If we're not getting much out of going to God in prayer, we will certainly get nothing from staying away. Blaming and despairing will not help with corona. It is walking and praying with God that will take us through this valley. Amen.